Father, we're grateful for the opportunity of being here and just thankful for your word. It's just so rich and full of so many things that we can't really uh, fathom uh, a lot of the things that are there and will never scratch the surface of understanding all of the things that are there. It's just such a wonderful book that is beyond our ability to be able to grasp it all in this life. But we're thankful that we have uh, this provision that we are, as we're illuminated by the Holy Spirit, can put it together and be able to understand your will for our life and the direction that you want us to go and what you're doing in this world and that makes a huge difference in how we're able to operate and we're grateful for that in your son's name we pray amen okay so we were looking at uh, the jews and so we tried to look at the fact that uh so to give you some historical background so here we are at the tower of babel all men uh as we saw in, in chapter 11 turned away from god now i believe again romans chapter one is a um would be a commentary on this and just turn over there just a second just Excuse me, to give you uh, and some insight here. So in Romans chapter 1, Paul starts off, and what group of people is he first uh, talking about that is, um, would uh, be exhibit A, that men are no good? He starts with the Gentiles. So Paul, just think as you look at the book of Romans, Paul is like a lawyer in the courtroom, and here's his opening statement. No, no one's any good. Now let's look at the first exhibit. Look at the Gentiles. They're no good. And then he goes on to the second chapter. He says, look at the Jews. They're no good. And then he goes to the third chapter and says, there ain't anyone any good. Not one single solitary person. And do you know what I found? When you come to that conclusion, it frees you. And you can really appreciate grace. Because if you think that you're something, I mean, you're just going to be fooling yourself most of your life and so here Paul does that and notice in Romans chapter 1 and verse 20 um, and 21 he says because when they knew God and if you go back into the first that period of time men could actually find God so when it says that Noah walked with God or Enoch walked with God I know we say that metaphorically right oh I'm walking with God today that's not how they walk with God they literally walked with God. They could find him. So this is the backdrop to this. So they knew God. And, it's, and really it, here, it's used, he, they had an experiential knowledge of him. And so it wasn't just they knew him in, his, in their minds. They understood. They had, they had some contact with him. When they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart were dark, was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Now somebody says, well, this is going on today. Well, yeah, you know, people have always done this. But do you know what he was really talking about? It was this period of time right here. Right here. And I really believe that Satan was manipulating situations then. And men began to think, and what did they say? Let us gather together and make a name for ourselves. This is going to be the, the backdrop of what happens going forward with, um, in the tribulation period. You know, it's just interesting. This, the more information men get, the more they think that they are invincible. Well, they're so smart. And they understand everything. And, and so that's what is happening. And so now you, you, um, he then goes to a group of people from um, uh, Noah's 
uh, line, the Shemites, and he starts dealing with this group of people, and he makes them promises. And uh, and so he begins to tell them some things that he was going to do, and the whole purpose was to show the rest of the world uh, how great the God of Israel is, what becomes the nation of Israel. So then they're taken into uh, captivity into Egypt because they disobey. One of the things you see with uh, Israel, God gave them promises, and he promised to do it all. They, again, thought that they could do it, kind of like where the church is today. We could do it. And, and you don't really get a sense of this until you have kids, right? And you see little kids, and they always say, I could do it. I could do it. And you're thinking, no, you can't. But, oh, they think they can do it. And this is where people are. And so this is what happened to Israel, is they thought that they could do it. And so uh, God delivered them out of Egypt. They were taken again into Babylonian captivity because they continued to not live up to what God's standards for the nation was. Let's just let me show you one little commentary here in Acts chapter 7 as you see Stephen talk about the nation of Israel. Acts chapter 7 is a real good outline of the nation of Israel. Very natural outline that Stephen just kind of goes point by point. That one and also in the 13th chapter of Acts as well as Paul talks to the church at Antioch. Uh, Two good chapters that really give you some good historical uh, background of the nation. And so Stephen is talking to um, the the uh, religious leaders and notice he he's given them this narrative and we want to pick it up in um, uh, verse 43 uh, go back actually to, to um, 41 and they made a calf in those days and they offered up sacrifice unto the idols and rejoiced in the works of their hands then God turned, uh, turned and gave them over to worship the host of heaven as it is written in the book of the prophets, O you house of Israel, have you offered up to me slain beasts and sacrifices by the space of forty years in the wilderness? Yea, you took up the tab- uh, tabernacle of Moloch and the star of your god, Rampham. See, they are actually, instead of being examples to the, to, to the nations, they're actually serving the gods that the nations were serving. It's just, it's crazy. And so notice... And, and, and your God of your God ran from figures which you made to worship them, and I will carry you away into Babylon. So here we are right here. And they go into Babylonian captivity. And so our fathers had the tabernacle of witness in the wilderness as, you, as he had appointed, speaking unto Moses, that he should make it according to the fashion which he had seen, which also our fathers that came after bought in with Jesus uh, into the possession of the Gentiles whom God drave out before the face of your fathers unto the days of David, who found favor before God and desired to, f- to find a tabernacle for the God of Jacob. But Solomon built him a house. Howbeit the Most High dwells not in temples made with hands. As said the prophet, Heaven is my throne and earth is my footstool. What house will you build for me, said the Lord, or what is the place of my rest? Has not my hand made all these things? And now here's the thing that you don't want to do when you really want to try to win people. You don't, might want, not want to say what Stephen said here. Um, if you do, you might suffer the same fate. <laughs> Notice in verse 51, he says, You stiff-necked and uncircumcised in heart and ears. You do always resist the Holy Spirit. 
as your fathers did, so do ye. Which of the prophets have you not your fathers uh, have not your fathers persecuted, and they have slain them which show before the coming of the just one, of whom you have been now the betrayers and murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels, and notice here something very important, and have not kept it. Israel didn't keep the law. For all of these people who believe that you can keep the Ten Commandments, that you can keep the Mosaic Law, Israel didn't do it. So you're better than them? <laughs> and so they didn't do it. Only one person did, and that's the Lord Jesus, was able to keep all of the commandments of the law and not break not one. And notice, and when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed upon him with their teeth. Now, they weren't cannibals. They weren't trying to bite at him. They were like, Arr. You ever did that to someone? Maybe not. You just uh, grind your teeth at them, right? <laughs> and so that's what they were doing. And so now they were scattered as they come out of Babylon in captivity. Daniel sees at the time of uh, their captivity had come to an end. You see in the 10th chapter of Daniel where he uh, prays for when uh, the end of this captivity and when it was going to take place. Uh, and then you go here for 400 years between here. They didn't even hear from God. They heard nothing from him. And then all of a sudden, this guy comes out of the, the, uh, the, uh, onto the scene saying, repent. The kingdom from the heavens are at hand. After 400 years of hearing nothing. Now, you can get a picture of this because we've gone, what, about 2,000 years since the Lord went back to heaven. And for a lot of people, in their minds, nothing. And then it's just all of a sudden, this guy comes on the scene saying the kingdom from the heavens are at hand. And what did they do? They rejected it. They rejected it. And how do we know that they rejected it? Well, what did they say to Pilate? We would not, we would not have this man rule over us. We have only one king, Caesar. Right? And what did they, Pilate says, he wrote unto the, over the cross, Hail Jesus, King of the Jews. And they even went further saying, Don't write that he's King of the Jews. Write, he said he's King of the Jews. They rejected him as King. They didn't reject him as Savior. They rejected him as King. And, you know, when we look at it from, the, from the, the, today, rightly, we shouldn't say that he's king of the church. Do you know it never says that he's king of the church? Not one time will you find in scripture that he's king of the church. Not one. He's king of the Jews. It's what he offered himself as. And they rejected him as king. So now he goes into this issue with the church, which um, the Jews didn't see coming. And so you have a Jew and Gentile make up this entity called the church. And now you see that Israel is going to be judged. And so this period of time in, in the, uh, uh, during the tribulation period is a judgment upon the Jews. And so they're looking toward this time here where God's going to give them the kingdom that they we're looking for. And let's look at a couple of scriptures concerning the kingdom. Look at Acts chapter 1. They were still up to the point in time of the Lord's departure looking for the fact that this kingdom was going to be established. Uh, 
and so um, in um, Acts chapter 1 and verse um, 5 as the Lord's getting ready to go away uh, in verse 4 and being assembled together with them he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem but wait for the promise of the Father which he said uh, you have heard for John truly baptized with water but you shall be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days hence and when they therefore were come together they asked of him saying Lord will thou at this time restore the kingdom again uh, restore again the kingdom to Israel and he said unto them it is not for you to know the time or the seasons which the father has put in his own power but you shall receive um, power after the Holy Spirit is come upon you and you shall be witnesses of me both in Jerusalem and, uh, and in all of Judea and in Samaria and into the utmost parts of the earth and so they were still looking for this impending kingdom and uh, they did not get it now I think in uh, the 31st chapter of Jeremiah uh, there were some promises made and they, they were promises that were going to happen um, later on with the nation of Israel uh, you know what they, they never could uh, operate under the Mosaic law and to do all that the law had prescribed and so God promised them that when they came into this kingdom that there was going to be a new covenant that he was going to give to the nation and let's pick it up in the 31st chapter um, and pick it up with verse 27 behold the days come said the Lord that I will sow the house of Israel and the house of Judah with the seed of man and with the seed of the beast and it shall come to pass that like as I have watched over them and to pluck up and to break down and to throw down and to destroy and to afflict and so I will watch over them to build and to plant said the Lord in those days they shall say no more the fathers have eaten our sour grape and the children's teeth are set on edge but everyone shall die for his own iniquity every man that eats the sour grape his teeth shall be set on edge behold the days come said the Lord that I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of Egypt, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them. And so Israel never kept again the covenant. And one of the things that you see is that um, because they didn't, God then turned to the Gentiles, and, he, and he's pulling from the Gentiles, um, a people of the Gentiles as, as well as from the Jews, uh, into this entity called the body of Christ. Notice he says, But this shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my law, law into their inward parts and write it into their hearts and will be their God and they shall be for me a people and they shall teach uh, no more every man and his neighbor and every man his brother saying, Know the Lord. For they all shall know me from the least of them unto the greatest of them, says the Lord. And I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. And so here you have um, this covenant that he's going to make with Israel in the future. Uh, and that's going to take place uh, here during, as he sets up the millennial kingdom. And you see that this is going to be what's going to happen. Notice in uh, Psalm 31, 
37, I'm sorry. Psalms 37. Now, <clears throat> again, here's a good example where this might sound good to um, apply something from the Old Testament, but I don't know if you've ever done this, but if you've ever started applying a scripture from the Old Testament and part of it fits, but then you get to a part where it don't fit, and you say, oh, well, this is a symbol of this, <laughs> right? Maybe you haven't done that, but I've done that. As I said, I'm glad that none of the sermons that I preached early on in life, and maybe you might say some of them the ones now, you can't get, but the ones early on, you sure can't get any, uh, you can't get any recordings for it. And that's a wonderful thing, because <laughs> I think I was allegorizing like nobody's business. But this is one of those ones, because it seemed like as you start off here in the 37th verse, it sounds like this could apply for the day. It just breaks down as you go through the scripture. Notice he says in verse 1, For not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Trust in the Lord and do good, and so shalt thou dwell in the land. See? Now here's where it starts breaking down. Right? And so we say, yeah, I take the first two verses, but where is the land we're going to dwell? Oh, America. Oh, that's what he's talking America. There's a promise from God that we're going to dwell in this land and all our enemies are going to be cut down. Wouldn't that be great if it were true? <laughs> but it's not true. That's not what he's talking about. This is to Israel and they have a promise that this is going to happen. <clears throat> Delight thyself also in the Lord and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Commit thy way unto the Lord. Trust also in him and he shall bring it to pass. He shall bring forth thy righteousness as the light and thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not thyself because of him who prospers in his own way or because of the man who bringeth wicked devices to pass. Cease from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. And so those uh, of the nation of Israel that were participating in, in this kind of behavior would be cut off from the nation. But notice the promise that he makes to Israel. But those that wait upon the Lord, or you could translate that those who wait for Jehovah. We're not waiting for Jehovah. Do you realize that? We are waiting for the rapture or the return of the Lord. They were waiting for Jehovah to come. They were once, if you go back to Isaiah, the 40th chapter, waiting for the return of the glory. The glory left the temple in Ezekiel chapter 10. They had promises that the glory was going to return. That's not what we're waiting on today. But there is a promise in which the sun is going to come back and it's going to be uh, for us in the rapture. But this... Well, hold your finger just right there, just to show you <coughs> that uh, this all adds up. Look at Luke chapter 2 and verse 25. Now notice in Luke, there were the people <coughs> from this time forward that were waiting for the glory to come back. They were waiting around, and they were waiting uh, on edge. And this guy, Simeon, had been promised that he wouldn't die until he saw the return of the glory. And so notice in verse 25, And behold, there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. 
And the same man was the just and devout and waiting for the consolation or really the comforting of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it was revealed unto him by the Holy Spirit that he should not see death before he had saw the Lord's Christ. And he came to the spirit, by the Spirit into the temple. And when the parents brought the child Jesus to do out for him after the custom of the law, then took he him in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now let thy servant depart in peace according to thy word. For mine eyes have seen thy salvation, which thou hast prepared before the face of all people. Now notice the two things here. A light to lighten the Gentiles and the glory of thy people Israel. So did I make it up? No. They were waiting for the return of the glory. That's what they were waiting on. The glory departed from the temple back in Ezekiel. They knew that it was going to return. We're waiting a we're awaiting a savior. Words matter. They matter. And so here you see in, in Ezekiel the thirty-seven chapter, um, he says, "The meek shall inherit the earth." Excuse me. Go back. Those that, verse 9 is where we left off. They shall inherit, those that wait upon the Lord, now notice it says, they shall inherit the earth. Now, where have we heard this before? There you go. Thank you, Scott. In the Beatitudes, Matthew chapter 5. Two months ago in Moody Bible. <laughs> and so here you, you make the connection. You see how Scripture interprets Scripture? I don't have to make it up. And so in the Beatitudes, he's talking to Israel. This would have been the law of the kingdom if they would have accepted it. And so he goes on, he says, The the meek shall inherit the earth, and they shall delight themselves in the abundance of peace. The wicked plots against the the just and gnash upon him with uh, his teeth. Um... But that we were wanting to go to the eleventh chapter, and so here you see Israel is judged. Now I believe during the, the uh, tribulation period, God's going to take Israel into the wilderness, and He's going to judge them, and He's going to separate the elect from the non-elect of Israel. And so we see some. Um, let's look at the New Testament side of that in Romans chapter nine. That God's going to to judge Israel. Or actually, it's, I think it's eleven. God's going to judge Israel, but right now. Israel is set to the side. Do you realize that? Israel today are not the people of God. They've been set aside. God is dealing with the church as the people of God. And it's really amazing to me because you see a lot of these uh, groups that are out there who um, they, they think that Israel is the people of God. They give deference to Israel over the church. It's just the most amazing thing. And so... Here you see it right here in scripture. Notice, um, we'll, we'll go back, if you would, in verse, um, pick it up in Romans chapter 11. Um, and we'll pick it up at verse uh, 8. According as it is written, God has given them a spirit of slumber, eyes that they should not see, ears that they should not hear unto this day. David said, let their table be made a snare and a trap and a stumbling block. And a recompense unto them. Let their eyes be darkened that they may not see. And bow down their back alway. I say then have they stumbled that they should fall. 
God forbid, but rather through their fall, salvation has come to the Gentiles for to provoke them to jealousy. Now, if the fall of them be the riches of the world and the diminishing of them the riches of the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles, insomuch that I am an apostle of the Gentiles, I magnify my office. If by any means I may provoke to emulation them which, be, which are of my flesh, and might have some of them, and might save some of them. For if the casting away of them be the reconciling of the world, what shall be the receiving of them but life from the dead? For if the first fruit be holy, the lump is also holy, and if the root be holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, uh, thou being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, uh, with, with them partakers of the root and the fatness of the olive tree. Boast not against the branches, but if thou boast, thou bearest not the root, but the root beareth thee. So he has this picture that you have this tree, This tree is symbolic of a place of blessing. Israel has been taken out of this tree. The church has been grafted into this tree. Now, I had never seen a grafted tree before until I went to Jeanette's house. And she has a grafted tree. It's really an interesting thing to see. So, Israel's taken out of this tree. The church has been grafted into it. This is a fact. But he's not finished with Israel. So this could go two different ways. So that now you have the church who is saying that we are spiritual Israel and we've replaced Israel and God is not going to deal with Israel anymore. And that's not true. Right. And then you have others who will say, oh, it's still Israel and we're, the church is subservient to Israel. And that's not true. And so notice he go, he's going to explain it here as we go forward. Verse 19. Thou will say then the branches were broken off that I might be grafted in. Well, because of unbelief they were broken off. Thou standest by faith, be not high-minded, but fear. For if God spared not the natural branches, take heed, lest he also spare not thee. Behold, therefore, the goodness and the severity of God on them which fell severity, but towards thee goodness. If thou continue in his goodness, otherwise thou shalt be cut off. And they also, if they abide not, Still in unbelief shall be grafted in, for God is able to graft them in again. For if thou wert an, out of an olive tree, were, um, which is by, wild, wild by nature, were grafted contrary to the nature into a good olive tree, how much more shall these, which be the natural branches, be grafted into their own olive tree? For I would not have you, brethren, I would not, I would not brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, that you should be wise in your own conceits. That blindness in part has happened to Israel until when? The fullness of the Gentiles come in. Israel, the nation of Israel is blind as a bat. They're blind as a bat very hard because they have not only this uh, natural blindness, but they have God has blinded them as a nation very hard for a Jew to see through it. But there are some that are elect that do. We know that that's a fact because they both make up the body of Christ as we see in Ephesians chapter 2. Now, if you, if you would, if you look over into Revelation to chapter 12, you'll see that um, one of the things that uh, after the church is departed and you get into the tribulation period, <clears throat> one of the things that happens when Satan uh, is limited to the earth 
um, that he goes after the nation of Israel in Revelation chapter 12. So you have this picture that, that starts at the beginning of the dragon, and I believe the dragon here in the context is symbolic of the nation of Israel. Now we know this from the context because you can see in verse 4, and uh, excuse me, the dragon is symbolic of Satan, let me get that right, and the, uh, the woman is symbolic of the nation of Israel. And notice in verse 4, and his tail drew a third part of the stars of heaven, talking about the dragon, and it cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman which was uh, ready to be delivered for to devour her child as soon as it was born. And so this is Satan trying to kill off the Lord Jesus through um, uh, Herod. And you can take this right back to Matthew chapter 2. And she brought forth a man child who was to rule the nations with a rod of iron. And her child was caught up to God and, and to his throne. See how there's a time gap in between those? We would call those a parenthetical uh, scripture there where he was brought forth a man child who was to rule all the nations and notice that that colon there and her child was called up unto God uh, and to uh, his throne and the woman this is Israel fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared of her God that they should feed her there a thousand two hundred and three score days and so you have the nation of Israel who's going to go into the wilderness during the middle of the tribulation period. And what and I believe what precipitates this is what's getting ready to happen here in verse 7. And there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, and the dragon fought and his angels and prevailed not, neither was their place found any more in heaven. And what is hard for people to believe is that the Satan to this very day has access into the third heaven. He goes back and forth. And one of the best places to see this is the book of Job. It's chapter 1 of the book of Job. And so what, what changes is in the middle of the tribulation period, remember you have um, the tribulation period, and then you have the great tribulation period. I think I got it here. Yeah. The first half is the beginning of sorrows. You haven't seen anything yet. And that's going to be bad. The second half is the great tribulation period. That last three and a half years, the Lord says that if uh, he hadn't, uh, um, if, it, if it were possible, that, that even the elect would not have survived. I would not want to be here. And I hope that there's nobody sitting in this room that's going to be here during this three and a half years. If so, uh, you can have everything at my house. <laughs> I mean, it just, you can have at it. I mean, I don't know if that's going to do any good, but <laughs> it's, it's not going to be good. And so notice, uh, so this, in verse 9, And the great dragon was cast out, that old serpent called the devil, and Satan, which deceives the whole world, he was cast out into the earth, and his angel was cast out with him. So this is going to be the first time that Satan doesn't have this access into the third heaven in the middle of the tribulation period. So notice when he comes down, he's limited now to the earth. He can't go back and forth to heaven. He's limited to the earth. And notice, up to this point in time, Satan has never showed himself to be wrathful. Not ever. Do you see it in scripture? But he will during this time. And this is what's going to make this second half of the tribulation period one of the worst periods of time that men have ever seen. And the people that try to say, oh, we're in the tribulation period today. Are you kidding me? You're kidding, right? 
There's nothing ever happened like this before. Ever. Not even today. As I, and I like to say that, that, that when people get to this period, they're going to look back on these times like these were the Andy Griffin days. <laughs> they're going to think these were the good old days. I mean, that's how bad it's going to be. And so notice what happens here. I heard at verse 10, I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, saying, Now has come salvation and strength and the kingdom of our God and the power of his Christ and the accuser of our brethren is cast down, which accused them before our God day and night. And they overcame him by the blood of the lamb and by word of their testimony, and they loved not their lives unto the death. Therefore rejoice, you heavens, and ye that dwell in them, and woe unto any inhabitants of the earth and of the sea. For the devil is come down to you. And notice, I tell me if you see this anywhere else in scripture, I've not seen anywhere else where wrath is associated with Satan. And now tell me, I could be wrong. If anyone finds a verse that associates wrath with Satan, tell me. I stand to be corrected. But I think this is what makes this part of the tribulation period very unique. Up to this point in time, Satan has done nothing but tried to hide behind the scenes. And all of what he's doing is trying to be like God. That's what he's trying to do. He's trying to duplicate what God does. But when he's, when he's denied access to heaven, now he's going to realize time's running out. Time to dispense with all of this play. I've got to get this thing done. And he comes down to the earth and notice he has great wrath. And why does he have great, great wrath? Because he knows that he hath but a short time. And when the dragon saw that he was cast onto the earth, he persecutes the woman, which is the nation of Israel. And I believe God uses Satan and it drives the, the nation into the wilderness. Now, I believe that at that point in time, that the majority of the Jews on the face of this earth will be in the land. Now, how can I say that? Because there... Yes, because there is a, uh, according to Daniel, when he signs the covenant, he signs it with the many. Now, I don't believe it's obviously all, but many covers quite a few. And then you ask yourself, well, there's more Jews in America than there are probably any place else. But something is going to happen to encourage them to go back to the land. Something's going to happen. Because we know that when the man of lawlessness comes on the scene immediately after the rapture, he signs this covenant with the many, and they're in the land. And so now they flee into the wilderness, and the woman is given two wings of an eagle that she might fly into the wilderness, into her place where she's nourished for a time and times and a half time from the face of the serpent. And the serpent casts out of his mouth water and a flood after the woman, and he might carry her. Uh, to be carried away from the flood and the earth helps the woman and, and um, the earth opens his mo- her mouth and swallows up the flood which the dragon cast out of his mouth and the dragon was wroth with the woman and went to make war with the remnants of her seed now I believe here he's talking about the 144,000 and it's not the Jehovah Witnesses <laughs> it's the 144,000 Jews you know, and I just never understand this with the Jehovah Witnesses. Surely there's been more than 144,000 people that have lived up to this point in time. But I digress. <laughs> and um, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. 
And so you see this with the nation of Israel. Now, we did get through one section of it. Uh, I'm going to leave. Hope Dan will be back next week, and he will be able to deal with the Gentiles and the uh, and the church. But we've covered a, a, a significant bite, and hopefully that's given you an overview of what's happening here with eschatology. As you think about it, think of three, three, the three different uh, groups. Let me go back to my chart here. Uh, and so you have the Jews, the church, the, uh, the Jews, and the Gentiles. And you have to cover all of those and chart all of those as to how God is dealing with those three. And man, it's just, it just Scripture just lays it out so nicely. Uh, it's just so neat how God has uh, laid it out, and there's no question. When you understand eschatology, and somebody will say, well, what's the point of us understanding this? Because it, it really shows you how great God is and how intricate he is. And when you understand the plans that he has for you and I, it's enough to make you uh, lift you a few feet off the ground when you understand that God's in control. And I always like to see the end of the book. I don't care. Tell me whatever the any movie. Tell me the end of it. I don't care. I always like to see the end because I know particularly this story. It's going to end well.